Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Romans 13, 1-7 Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of, possibility, uh, of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then re- revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Thirdly and finally, from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 3-7. through seven. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Let's pray before we consider this. Lord Jesus, it feels almost uh, surreal to be here. thinking that one week ago we had no idea the things that you had in store for us. And so we have gathered here tonight, O Lord, to wait for the healing, to come and ask you by your Spirit to be very vivid among us, to be very present among us, bringing us, Father, all kinds of things. Our needs seem like a list longer than we can list. Of course we need comfort. Of course we need patience. Of course we need understanding. Of course we need clarity. And we don't know where else to go for it except from you. Would you, Father, by your grace, give us some of that tonight? Would tonight represent a great celebration, but at the same time a great comfort that we came here and understood a little bit better and understood where we stood. God, would you grant that for the sake of Christ this evening we pray. Amen. What a weekend. Um, you know, I have a million thoughts racing through my head right now. A million thoughts. 
And there were a lot of different ways that I could have gone with this evening. Uh, I thought for a while, um, especially through this weekend, that I would not do anything unusual. We would simply forge on ahead, keep Genesis at the forefront. Um, and I understand, obviously, there were an ocean of you. Uh, there had to be more than 100 of you that were there Monday for the funeral. But I recognize that for a lot of you, you couldn't make it. You wish that you could have, but for some other reason, couldn't make it. Um, and so I realized that we needed to talk about it just at least one more time about the events of a week ago tonight. Um, for those of you who obviously um, may not be up to speed on what happened, uh, Laura Trependahl, when she left RUF, got a chance to go and be with some friends uh, that night um, at a party. After she left there, she went over to another friend's house uh, to uh, stay for very briefly. On her way home, she was coming back along um, uh, West Jackson and uh, was struck by a, um, a bunch of guys who were driving a, a, a Chevy Tahoe uh, head-on. Uh, the car actually sideswiped uh, Kelly's car and uh, then hit um, uh, Laura's right on. Laura died instantly. Uh, she did not uh, suffer in any way, shape, form, or fashion that we could uh, see. Um, and was, uh, was um, uh, pronounced gone by the time she had made it to the hospital. Um, Laura did not receive any sort of uh, marks on her. She was not, uh, um, there were no actual physical, you know, uh, problems that she had with her. She, all of her uh, uh, injuries were all internal that happened uh, from the uh, force of the impact of the accident. But there was no sort of outer trauma that happened uh, to Laura. Um, we all gathered, many of you gathered there at the, um, uh, uh, at the hospital uh, very late into the hours of Thursday morning, uh, and we prayed together and cried together and had uh, uh, a difficult time together, quite frankly. Friday night, a group of us got together over at, uh, at my house uh, just to remember uh, and to talk and to ask questions and to deal with things. Uh, and then Saturday, a group of you made your way down to uh, Baton Rouge, uh, Dallas and myself included. Uh, Sunday, many of you came, and God bless you for coming. Uh, uh, many, of, many of you stayed there in Baton Rouge for, the, for Sunday night over until the uh, funeral happened on Monday morning. Uh, visitation started at 10 o'clock, and it was absolutely overwhelming. For those of you who were not there, there was a line that went unbelievably out of the back of the church where they had the visitation circled around, and then went up and down the aisles of the sanctuary. Uh, we've been trying to guess how many people were there, and I'm guessing a thousand people uh, came to this funeral. It was absolutely overwhelming there at First Pres in Baton Rouge. Um, for the service, there was a, a dear lady uh, by the name of uh, Phyllis Alexander, who was one of Laura's um, uh, small group Bible study leaders from when she was, um, it was her senior year, right? Senior year in high school. Uh, she was one of her Bible study leaders and came up and spoke and shared just some of the sweetest words uh, about her impressions of Laura from high school. Uh, then they let me get up and, and speak a few words as well. And then her pastor, uh, um, uh, Mr. Um, Stevenson, uh, Russ Stevenson, got up and spoke very briefly, and then we closed the service. Uh, Laura is buried now in um, uh, a very small town in extreme southwest Mississippi called Woodville. Uh, you look it up on a map if you have to. I had to. Uh, but a very sweet uh, um, graveside service followed very briefly afterwards. And then a, a group of us went back to Laura's house uh, to spend the evening. 
Uh, those are the things that happened as far as we knew it and as far as we saw it. Um, and my impressions I want to share with you as it goes on. But I wanted people to know what happened. One of the things that, that has really struck me about this whole experience is just how much it helps to just know what happened. Uh, Saturday night, as Dallas and I were over at the Trependahl's house, it was amazing to me how much even Laura's family was not aware of just what happened and the actual events that occurred and you know, who did what and when and how. Um, but it was amazing how much comfort it brought to people just to simply come in and tell people just what happened. Um, that was a great lesson for me, I think, in the midst of it. And it sort of helped me prepare what I wanted to do uh, for tonight because it's comforting to know. And when I say to know, I mean it's comforting to be able to sort of figure it out. You know, the, 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 the reason why your head swims um, is not because it was 5 o'clock in the morning. It's because you're trying to process everything that happened and there was so much to try to figure out in the midst of those weird, that weird night that just to be able to know, folks, the greatest privilege we have to know with absolute authority is what we get from the pages of this book. I have tried over and over again to impress upon you that the Bible comes to us as absolute authority. It comes to us as the very shape of reality. And you get to moments like this, and I was, you know, I was talking to people, I felt like I was in a surreal Salvador Dali painting all weekend long. It was just bizarre. This can't be happening. But the Word of God comes along and says, do you want to know what's happening? Ask me. So that's why I chose the passage that we did. I did a little search. Uh, I've got some little software through the Bible for the word comfort while I was preparing this this week. Turns out that um, the word comfort appears six times in the Psalms, at least in the NIV version, six times. Five of those times, they appear in Psalm 119. Do you remember what Psalm 119 is about? It's about the Word of God. The whole Psalm is a Psalm in celebration of the Word of God. And I wanted to come here and do whatever I can to take my own pastoral responsibilities with you to bring you comfort. And uh, isn't it interesting that the Bible told me to come back to it uh, to do so? The Word of God, objective reality, a firm foundation. As things vacillate, we can look and say that the Word of God never changes. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of our God stands forever. Tonight, what I want to do is four simple things. I want to try to fill in some blanks with you, which I hope I already did. Uh, I want to answer some questions that I've heard people asking that you have listed on your handouts. Uh, I want to field any questions that you have. If you've got things that you're wondering tonight, things that you want to ask, we're going to have an open forum tonight. As weird as that may be, we're going to do it. You don't have to ask a question, but if you do, we can do it. And then lastly, I just want to pray for a while. Um, and I'm going to ask you to open, Parker, if I could, when we do that. So I don't want to give you, I wanted to give you four warnings so I didn't talk to you beforehand. But first of all, I want to do is to field some questions uh, that have happened. Question number one, uh, where is Laura? I haven't asked, had anybody ask this explicitly, but there's just no way that ha we haven't all been wondering this. Because that's part of the, that's part of the thing. And 2 Corinthians 5, that passage that you have there in front of you, I think gives us some great insight in such a small, simple sentence in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. Many of you who attended Christ Presbyterian Church, 
this Sunday. Got a chance to hear uh, Kurt Presley do a wonderful job, I understand, on this passage. But he says basically this. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I explain it simply this. Death is fundamentally a separation of one's physical body to something else that is just as real, which the Bible describes as one's soul. Now, I know that that this sounds obvious to you and simple, but it's not. But the Bible teaches that there is a place. It is a physical place. It is not an ethereal, sort of non-tangible place, but there is a physical place. The Bible describes it as being above the highest heavens. And primarily where that place is, is the place where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And He dwells in a physical body. When Jesus was on this earth, it was Thomas who doubted whether or not he was really real. And Thomas was the one who said, I believe in him if I can put my hand in his side and touch the nail prints. And Jesus, of course, grants the request when he appears to Thomas. Jesus now exists in a physical body in heaven, in that place where he dwells um, in heaven. Now, look, that's hard to imagine. I don't understand it. I don't understand where physically that place is. There's a lot of people that want to talk about different dimensions. I don't know, and I don't care. The Bible says that it's there. It's there. And Jesus is there in bodily form, seated at the right hand of God the Father, constantly interceding on our behalf. We've talked about that before. The second thing is, is all departed saints go there. That's it. To be, at, to be absent from the body for a Christian is to be at home with the Lord. In other words, what happens in death is an unnatural, I'll come back to that, separation between one's body and one's soul. But that part of one's soul goes to be in heaven to dwell with Christ. The soul goes to that place. Now we don't know how to talk about this because we don't know how to picture in our minds disembodied souls. What does that look like? I don't know. I have no earthly idea. But we do know that these disembodied souls have, um, they have the ability to see. They see Christ. They can hear. They hear Him speak. They hear His Word. They have the ability to commune sweetly. That there's a sweetness of one's relationship with the Lord when they get there. Long list of Scripture passages that we could list on this. But they also, saints, when they get to this place, also recognize each other. They know each other. When a person departs, that disembodied soul goes and can actually tell and learn and know and get to know the other disembodied souls of saints that have died before. We know that from the transfiguration where uh, 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 Moses and Elijah actually return back from that place and meet with Jesus while he's in his transfigured state. Remember this story? And, of course, we also know that the departed saints are there in heaven, uh, figuratively speaking, from Revelation chapter 6, under the altar, crying out for justice, saying, How long, O Lord, will you take before you avenge our deaths? Interestingly enough, those saints who have been martyred are those that live there. But, folks, the main point of what happens to believers is that they go to be with the Lord. The main point of heaven is not the cessation of suffering, although that it certainly is. 
It is not, the main point of heaven is not having all of your tears wiped away, which they certainly will be. The Bible says that explicitly. The main point of heaven is not the streets of gold and the palaces made of all, you know, jewels. The main point of heaven is not even the reuniting of ourselves with those whom we've lost. Folks, the main point of heaven is that Jesus is there. That's the thing that makes heaven heavenly. It would make no sense for someone to want to go to heaven, but to be sort of lackadaisical or sort of nonchalant about going to see Jesus. Because that's the point of heaven. It's the reason why his his people long to go there. And the reason why they long to go there is because of all the wonderful things that happened. Had a great little experience with Louis Burkhoff. Listen to some of this. We know from certain scripture passages that when they go there, the covenant is completed. That's cool. The covenant that begins in one's salvation, where we begin to see, we begin to relate to each other, sort of like the same thing as the marriage covenant. It comes together, but in heaven it's consummated. There is a sense in which that union is, 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 experiences its fullness, and there's the full richness that we were meant to experience there. They know full and complete fellowship with Him that is absolutely uninterrupted by sin. They come and they dwell with the Father. And not one sin do we believe, or that I'm convinced, Laura is struggling with even as we speak. They know fellowship with Him. They talk with Him. And we know that Jesus talks back. (laughs) He communicates back with them in that presence. Not only that, He's there for them. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in just a minute. But Jesus is there for them. They have constant, ongoing, non-seeking, non-ceasing access. They don't have to wait. They don't have to take a number to go talk to Jesus, these disembodied souls that are there. While there, they also enjoy the company of the Father. They cannot see the Father face to face. They wrestle that they see Him immediately. They see Him immediately through the Lord Jesus Christ at that point. But they see things from God's eternal perspective and they join with Christ in glorifying the Father while He is there. But folks, the last thing I would leave you with with, is, is this thought. And it's something that occurred to me all through the weekend. Please remember that death is unnatural. If we spend all of our time simply talking about the glory of death, I'm afraid that some of you would struggle with your grieving. Folks, the Bible nowhere condemns your grieving. The Bible nowhere says that it is wrong for us to be upset, to be angry, to experience frustration and hurt and heartbreak at the fact that there is such a thing as death at all. Folks, death is unnatural. It is not right. I never get used to... um, Hope I don't make a mistake here. Dallas and I had a chance to go Sunday afternoon to go see Laura with her family. Clint McCullough came with us to go see. And folks, you know, I mean, there's few things quite like that anyway. It's, it's, it's a grisly experience because it doesn't make any sense. But by the way, she looked beautiful. She looked beautiful. Um, but folks, in that moment when you sit down and you walk in and you see a disensouled body. Um, it's supremely unnatural. It does not sit well. 
Am I right? But folks, in that moment, the beauty of it is, is sometimes we try to console ourselves. And, and fortunately, nobody said this Sunday afternoon. It was, it, was a, it was a wonderful time. Nobody walked up and said, well, we know that that's not Laura. We know that's not Laura. Yes, it is. Because the beauty of the fact of who we saw laying in that casket, in that funeral home on Sunday afternoon, the beauty of seeing that is that body is going to rise again. It is going to reanimate. There will be the voice of heaven that will speak. And all of a sudden, everything, every, every ailment, every dust particle that's left of that will reform. It will reanimate into a brand new, absolutely amazing body that will last. Physical body that can, you can touch. It will no longer be disembodied soul. It will be reanimated. It will be the resurrection of the body. It's what we all confessed, by the way, last week. I believe in the resurrection of the body. As I stood over Laura, I said, I believe in the resurrection of that body. It will be raised again unto newness of life. And you want to know what that body's going to be like? It's going to be like the body that Jesus had when he left the tomb. Now, I don't know a whole lot about, I don't know a whole lot about that body. But you know what? It passed through walls. Remember that? Where Jesus appears to the rest of the disciples when they're locked in that room. And all of a sudden he shows up right there. How did he do that? I don't know. So, uh, I heard C.S. Lewis comment this one time that some people have said that that means that the heavenly body is, you know, sort of um, vaporous. That way it can pass through walls because it's sort of like a vapor. But C.S. Lewis says, no, that's not right. The heavenly body is more solid than it was to begin with. He says, in other words, Jesus' body passed through walls for the same reason that a rock passes through water. It's more solid. That body that we saw that Sunday afternoon, Laura's body is going to raise again, be reunited with her soul, and that she's going to exist forever, we believe, in that, in that perfect state of that body with the Lord forever. Man, that's wonderful. A body with unlimited potential. Isn't that great? No more brokenness. This is as best as I can do on the answer to the question of where is Laura. I'm going too long. Secondly, what about the other victims? What are we to believe? What are we to think about the other victims? Uh, Monday night, Monday night, it's Tuesday morning, we went, on, um, we went online and read the article that they put in the DM, um, the article from the DM from uh, Monday, uh, and got a chance to read and got a chance to see a few of the, um, uh, of the reactions that people had to the whole experience. And I felt that there was something that I desperately needed to say. And by the way, for those of you who wrote things on there, uh, uh, um, they were extraordinarily appropriate. They were extraordinarily appropriate. Um, but um, I say, I use the word victims because I want you to, to go ahead and feel the thing that when a tragedy happens, there are lots of victims. There are lots of victims. And folks, I want us to face up to the fact But quite frankly, and this is a bit difficult, and bear with me as we try to get through this, but folks, there wasn't anything all that unusual about what those boys did in climbing into that car having had too much to drink. I apologize if it is offensive to you that I am suggesting to you that those guys had had too much to drink, but it is now a verifiable scientific fact. It is on police record. 
uh, and it was clear that those young men had had too much to drink that night. But you know what? That happens almost every night. And you know it's true. You know that this city, and I've said it before numerous times, is defined by an abuse of alcohol, at least among their freshmen and their sophomores. It's amazing how the statistics totally shift during someone's junior and senior year. Isn't that fascinating? Once it's not wrong anymore, it loses its lure. Bear with me. I'm a Calvinist. That means I'm a natural pessimist, right? <laughs> but folks, there's... It happens every night. It happens every night. And I'm telling you, some of you, I dare say many of you are sitting in this room thinking, you know what? There is no reason why that couldn't have been me. My friends, I want to try to appeal to you by being very careful before you hold those young men up as sort of, you know, grotesque examples uh, of, of, of immoral behavior. And we need to walk very carefully before we begin to self-righteously look at those guys and say, well, look what they did. I hope they get what they deserve. Folks, you don't want people to get what they deserve. I promise you. Because if they get what they deserve, that means that you get what you deserve. And it means that I get what I deserve. And none of us wants that. None of us wants that. Folks, they are ju- there's no difference. There's no difference from Thursday night and what goes on every night of the week. I'm not saying that makes it right. I'm saying that makes it just that much more angering. If you have not thought about your alcohol consumption, and do not even, do not even walk out here and go, oh, great, well, there's RUF, another one of those ministries, it's all, you know, don't drink, don't drink. You know me better than that. I prefer to be biblical. The Bible does not condemn use of alcoholic beverages in moderation. It does not. It does not. I'm ready for that argument. But, folks, it teaches us. It gives us wisdom. And if you look around you and think that there is not an ocean of foolishness on this campus with regards to the consumption of alcoholic beverages, you have your head so far in the sand that you can't see anything. And the time is up. Nothing would make me happier than to see a campus-wide, what do I call it? I don't know, wake-up call? Yeah, I think it's appropriate to have Laura's death represent a time where you look and go, stop drinking under age. Stop it. Listen to me. Stop it. Stop it. For Laura's sake, stop it. It's not funny. Daddy typically gives it to me at home. I don't care. Stop it. When you're 21, knock yourself out. And the funny thing is, it's not going to bother you then because it won't be wrong. Oh, golly. I apologize, but it's not those men's fault. It's not their fault. They're no different from any of us in this room. Ah, oh, I got upset reading those things online that night. But folks, there's something else. There's a positive side to this, and it's simply this. Christians, we forgive each other. That's what Christians do. You want to have a definition of what a Christian is? We're people that forgive each other. That's the thing that we do. We look at people and we give them things that they don't deserve. Those people don't deserve anything. Okay, fine. Maybe they don't. 
Maybe those men who were in that car, whoever the driver was, maybe he didn't deserve anything. But you know what? Christians give people stuff they don't deserve. That's what we do here. I don't know if you, if, you, if you caught that. If you call yourself a Christian, that's what we do. People wound us and hurt us, we give back to them. That's our thing, if you will. Right? And you know why? Because of what Jesus did for us. If we start looking and getting high and mighty, my friends, you inch very dangerously close to proving yourself to not be a Christian at all. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 18. If you refuse to forgive your brother from your heart, then I'm not going to forgive you for my father. Ouch. We, we forgive, folks. That's the kind of thing that we do. God is going to measure our judgment by what we gave to other people. Now look, I know you're thinking to yourself, how? How in the world do I do that? Can I make some suggestions? First of all, look at yourself. Folks, are you not capable of exactly the same thing? I wonder how many of us in this room have done the same thing. Gotten behind the wheel of a car when you knew you shouldn't have done so. Folks, isn't it just grace that makes us who we are? Folks, we don't deserve anything. None of us in this room do. But secondly, secondly, realize, realize, realize that we serve a God who loves to forgive. Do you know something? And gentlemen, if you're a Sigma Chi tonight, I'm begging you to pass this on to your fraternity brothers and your friends. God loves to show mercy. And that boy needs to hear that. And somebody needs to tell him. We have a God who loves to show mercy. He delights in it. He thinks it's great when he can show mercy on people who come to him in repentance. You ready for this? You know who the best example of this is? Mr. David Trependahl. It's, a, it's Laura's dad. Laura, uh, Dave and I sat out on the porch of his house Monday night, sitting on the rocking chairs, talking about things. And he said, Les, I just want you to do me one thing. I want you to make sure that that guy knows that I don't have an ounce of bitterness towards him. Not an ounce. Nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, let's not lose two children in all this. I lost mine. Don't let his parents lose him. You make sure he hears that. I don't know how to do that, but would you do that for me? I want there to be a buzz on campus that Laura Trependahl's mom and dad wanted that guy to know more than anything else in the world that he is forgiven. That's what Christians do. However, I know there are some of you who are feeling something inside. And I've got to address this too. Because you're feeling a sense, an innate sense that I believe you were built to know, and that's a need for justice. I think we were all built with a desire to know that there is justice in the world. And I want to suggest to you and give you some categories to deal with. It was why I chose the passage that we chose from Romans 13. Read it again. The government, human societies and governments exist so that we have something called society. It's God's creation. God made society. He made human governments for the preservation of people. You want to know why He made government? Because He knows that we're sinful people. He knows that we are sinful people. And I simply want to suggest to you that there is no conflict, there is no conflict in the Bible between a personal forgiveness that holds absolutely nothing against any of the people involved, whether it be foresters or whether it be the guys who got in the car. 
There is no conflict between personal forgiveness and saying we have no ounce of bitterness in us and saying, but at the same time, in order for us to have a society at all, something has to be done. Something has to be done. We don't have a society if our state, and the state of Mississippi is the one who is pursuing the, um, the case uh, in, this, in this particular instance, that they are going so that we can have a society. Folks, we ought to long for that. That's a good thing for, for there to be justice. It's a good thing for there to be an example that's held up to other freshmen and sophomores who will in the future come to Ole Miss and say that there was a cautionary tale of a group of men who acted in a certain way and are having to pay for the consequences. There is no conflict between those two. And I know your heart's wrestling with this because I've talked with you. Because on the one hand, you look and you go, no, I don't want to hold anything against those guys. But at the same time, what do we do? The Bible holds them together perfectly because it understands that there's a difference between our personal forgiveness and public justice. I offer that simply to you to say that now that there is a debt that has to be paid to society, we can encourage that. We can long for that. We can support that and long that those things happen. Lastly, what do we do? Last question, what do we do? A few things off the top of my head, things that occurred to me this weekend that I wanted to tell you what to do. The first one is to honor God's sovereignty. For those of you who have been fortunate enough to speak to Dallas in the last couple days, you have probably heard a sermon on God's sovereignty. <laughs> he told me to warn you about it, uh, that um, you're going to hear something. But you know, there's been a fair amount of talk as to whether or not God had anything to do with Laura's death. A lot of discussion about that. Um, and you know what? I really wish that I had the time to read uh, Melissa's statement in the DM. I tell you what, if you, didn't, if you didn't read that, she summed it up better than I could ever do it. Thank you, Melissa, for doing it better than anybody could. She basically simply said that God knew how many years Laura had. And this was the exact time God knew for her to come home. It didn't surprise God was actually exactly according to the way in which he wanted it. Now, I know right now you're all dealing with the philosophical struggle of what does that mean? How do I work that out in my mind? You know what? You ain't got to work it out in your mind. Because the alternative is absolutely unlivable. Because for those of you who say, well, I don't believe God did this. I don't think God had a hand in this. My simple question back to you is, well, then who did? My friends, if it was not God, then whose hands was Laura's life in? Was she in the hands of some nameless, faceless fate that just sort of goes on the wheels of time, you know, just sort of turn along, you never know what's going to happen. Or even worse, in the hands of the devil. Oh, the devil did that. Oh, that's great. So the devil can now usurp God's authority? First of all, the Bible never teaches that. Go back and read the book of Job, first and second chapters. Folks, if that's the case, if it was the devil who did it, if that was the, the way it works, then your prayers, just wishful thinking. Your prayers can't change anything because God can't change anything. My friends, it is only an absolutely sovereign God who sets in my lap the absolute mystery of how it is possible to have evil in the world with a God who controls anything. I don't know. I don't know. Nobody else does either. Okay? Not even the people who would take his authority away from him, by the way. They don't understand it either. Makes it worse, quite frankly. But folks, 
You can't let go of that. The greatest rest, I can tell you that the greatest rest that all of us have had, am I wrong, has been the knowledge that God is at the, is at the wheel right now. None of this is out of His doing. It is all according to His design. We praise Him for it. We don't understand it. We groan. We ache for it. But I'm not willing to face the alternative. Secondly, what do we do? We be the church. Be the church. I've been waiting to say this to you. I am so proud of you. I have bragged on you to so many people. Um, I stood in that pulpit Monday afternoon and um, scared a lot. And I'm telling you, to look out there and to see your faces was comfort for me. You know what? It wasn't anything that you said. All of you said a ton of stuff. It wasn't anything that you did. And some of you, we've been the recipient of unspeakable kindnesses. Law school students brought me dinner the other night. Unbelievable. It was great. It was great, by the way. Thank you, Brian. You just did so good. But do you want to know what you did? This is the thing. Because you're going, I didn't do anything. I just kind of showed up. No, that's it. You were there. You were just there. A couple of years ago, when I was at the University of Memphis, there was a Roman Catholic lady who um, I was on the um, chaplain's staff with. And she used this little phrase. At the time, I sort of condescended to her. I was like, what is she talking about? But she was talking about a ministry of presence. We ought to go to so-and-so and see him in the hospital because of such a ministry of presence. I remember thinking, that's a ministry of presence. What are you talking about? I'm going to tell you right now. When you showed up at that church and I saw you walk in, it was comfort to me. And it was comfort to Dallas. And it was comfort to the Trependals. It was glorious. I felt better. We all felt better. Trependals were moved by that just because you were there. When you came in the middle of the night, you got yourself up out of bed to the hospital. That's the thing. And folks, what that means is that's the church. You know this. The best times you have ever had, the best times you've ever had is sitting up late with friends. Isn't that the best time you ever had? Sitting up late just kind of talking about stuff and laughing and kicking around. You didn't talk about anything religious. Let's pray. You didn't do any of that. You just sat around and just, you just sort of hung out. And isn't that great? You know, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that so we will be with the Lord. And you know what? I'm not sure that means anything more profound than just that we're going to be with the Lord. We got access. We get to hang out. Laura's hanging out <laughs> right now. She's being the church. Here's my point. We need to start that now. Because you have to understand that when we lose one of our own, we didn't just lose Laura. We were talking about this last night. We didn't just lose Laura. Because we also lost the things that Laura brought out in us. Do you understand what I mean by that? There were certain things that Laura drew out of all of us that... You know, 
They just were unique. It was just the kind of things that were, that were part of her. For many of you, for a great portion of you, she was a, a, a large section of your own social life. Some of you have to hang out with Laura. It's not just Laura that we miss. We miss the stuff in us that used to be there. That's an old C.S. Lewis line when he lost Charles Williams and the Inklings. Folks, it's more than just that. But here's the deal. What that means is, is those gaps have to be filled in. And all I'm saying is, is we've got to be together. We've got to hang out. You know? We've got to be on each other's team. No, you ain't got to say anything. If you want to bring a meal, that's great. Bring as many meals as you want to my house. You know? But you don't have to do that. Just kind of be in there. I'll be honest with you, it's tough on the people that were closest. It's, it's tough on Carrie. It's tough on Melissa. Of course it's tough on Dallas. It's tough on a lot of us to think through this. And it's going to be a deal. And by the way, do, 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 I, I feel certain I'm speaking for everybody in the room. Let's not walk on eggshells. Hey, are you okay? <laughs> because the answer to that, you know what the answer to that question is? I'm going to answer the question for them. The answer is, you know, I've got good moments and I've got bad moments. Uh, sometimes I'm doing really, really well. Sometimes it, it's really, really bad. There's nothing sub-spiritual about looking and going, no, it stinks, I'm hurting. Don't have to always walk around on cloud nine saying, well, everything's okay, enjoy the Lord, enjoy the Lord. And break. Folks, it's just being together. It's time for us to start to be explicit about it, do you know what I mean? To start planning on it. Man, I need to go hang out with that person. Don't close yourself in. Stop using it, studying as an excuse. Give me a break. Nobody studies at Old <laughs> In about 10 years, it may not even take that long. In about 10 years, you're going to look around at your life. You're going to look around and realize that you've got bills to pay, you've got busy stuff, you've got a spouse, kids maybe, I don't know. You're going to look around at your life and you're going to be like, man, you know what I miss? I miss those days at college. And you know what it is that you're going to be talking about? You're going to be talking about stuff like right now. You're going to miss the fact that we got to all get together and just talk. Man, I just longed for you guys Monday afternoon. Oh, that's why it was so great to see you, because I literally was imagining myself being here, because this is my home. I mean, I go home to 500 Alexa, but this is, Ginger knows, this is where I'm at home, is with you people. And that really is what it ought to be. And just seeing you all together and coming together on Friday, and you were gathering over at so-and-so's house, and people were praying over at so-and-so's house, and everybody got together in Jackson and was praying. There were people in Boston, Massachusetts that were praying, I heard. Oh, the RUF from... Texas Tech. Where is Texas Tech? I'm being serious. Where is Texas Tech? I have no idea. Last night, they spent the whole time praying for us. I mean, that's just great. That's the stuff. That's the thing that we were wanting, is being together. Be the church. Lastly, pray. It's time to pray. <laughs> it's time for us to pray. Because there's nothing else we know to do, you know? You want to know some stuff to pray for? I'll give, you, I'll give you a long list, but I'll shorten it. Prayer number one, pray for Dave and Coco Trependall. Um, I got a unique insight on this. I, hate, I always used to hate people who talk like this, but when you have a child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It has been 
gut-wrenching for Ginger and me. When I got home Monday night, I broke down over my little girls where they were sleeping in their room. Because it's hard to think about losing, losing one of your babies, and it's just your little, it's your little, it's your, it's your babies. And we need to pray for them. And don't stop, because it's not, it didn't just end now. Um, secondly, you need to pray for uh, Laura's uh, brother and sisters, for Catherine and Rob and for, uh, and for Sophie. Unbelievable people, by the way. Sweet as they can be, every one of them. Um, we need to pray for them, secondly. Uh, we need to pray for uh, ourselves. Some of us were closer than others. I think you ought to pray for large roommates. Uh, I think you ought to pray for Dallas. I think we ought to pray for you know anybody who is close to her uh, during this time. Um, we need to pray for all of us. Another big one, another big one. We need to pray for those boys. We got to pray for. Uh, I think we need to pray for the whole chapter of Sigma Chi. Quite frankly, there's a lot of Sigma Chi's here that have a have a steep road. They got to walk through some difficult times with some of their brothers. Okay, we need to pray for those guys. Pray that they know God's grace. Society is going to do what it has to do. I don't have to do any of that. We don't have to be involved in any of that. We need to come and bring a measure of, of, of mercy and to speak the word of God to those people. Finally, I think we need to pray for the old Miss community. We need to pray for this place, y'all. We need to pray that God does a work here, you know? I don't know about y'all, but I've had umpteen opportunities to share the gospel with people. I was walking down the hall of my building today and met the guy down the hall. Man, what happened this weekend? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about Laura. This is what she was all about. Man, that kind of stuff has been wide open, and it excites me to no end all the opportunities it is to share the gospel. And so I just thought that we'd pray. Um, some of you are not comfortable praying in public, and that's great. Don't do it. Some of you are, though. I would love for maybe four, maybe five of you. And I'm going to ask Parker to start us, and I'll close us out. Just four or five um, if it's on your heart tonight, we're going to close and just have a time of prayer um, together as a family, as a body. And I'll finish us out, and we're going to, um, we're going to sing um, the same song that we finished with last week. Um, Laura made a point to tell uh, Carrie that she absolutely loved singing Holy, Holy, Holy last week, and I thought that would be a great way to finish off. Um, but um, if you want to pray, you don't have to stand up, but it will probably help everybody here. Um, but uh, I'll close this after about four or five minutes to pray. Let's pray.